In 2020, I launched my own product line, Leia. Fun fact, it's my Hebrew name. We started off carrying jewelry and sunglasses that I designed and some that I curated. And bit by bit, my team and I navigated building an e-commerce brand from scratch. And for a while, things seemed promising. Then COVID hit and prices for materials went way up. The increased production costs meant that we couldn't offer the same pricing for the quality that I wanted. So we had to change course. And we rebranded and started experimenting with active, lounge, and sleepwear. My goal eventually was to expand to ready-to-wear clothing. So we rebranded a third time to fit the vision I thought I had for this brand. And to ensure that the process went smoothly, my team and I decided to bring production to the U.S. to preserve quality. But yet again, that increased production costs, which meant that we had to increase our prices. This business was taking so much of my time, my energy, my creativity, and honestly, my money. And I just wasn't getting anything back from it. After some soul-searching, a lot of it actually, I decided to call it. My product line was a failure. I failed. And admitting that to myself was one of the most terrifying things I've ever had to do. You see, I had success early in my career. And while I've made mistakes, I had never really failed before. But now that I have, I am so beyond grateful. This journey taught me so much about business and a lot about myself. It's one of the most valuable experiences I've ever had. I'm Valeria, and if you're ready to own your failures, then you are not alone. In today's episode, we're joined by Iskra Lawrence and Elle Mills, two amazing women whose setbacks changed their stories for the better. Fear of failure is really common, especially in my generation. A 2015 survey found that 40% of millennials have a fear of failure. Believe it or not, that fear is so bad that it actually affects the economy. The World Bank reported that every year, fear of failure prevents more and more Americans from starting viable businesses. I think a big part of this fear comes from its stigma. Nobody likes to talk about their failures, and as a result, it seems like a rare occurrence when, in reality, it's very common. As an entrepreneur and a business owner, I mean, you mentioned that you've done a few things uh, in the past that just didn't work out. How did that affect you as an entrepreneur? Oh, that's tough. It's very different from having a post that doesn't perform well. When you've invested years, time, energy, money, whatever it might be, it is really devastating to like shut something off or it not work out. The two biggest ones that were really disappointing to me and and were hard to get over and realize that it wasn't going to happen. The first one was I tried to launch an online website, which was meant to be a mix of kind of just like a magazine and a blog called Runway Riot. That's Iskra Lawrence. She's a model, an entrepreneur, and the co-founder of the skincare line Salt Air. I really wanted to talk to Iskra because I see a lot of similarities between our business journeys. Iskra had many successes in her life, 
but she also had some major setbacks. And it was going to be completely size inclusive. So if we talked about trench coats, we showed every trench coat that was in inclusive sizing and we would shoot it on a model and different body types. And my goal was when I go to Pinterest or if when I look at street style, I still only see more straight sized girls in those images. And I really wanted to disrupt that, uh, hence runaway riot. And so for me, um, I partnered with someone who was, you know, very high up in the media industry. And he told me that I had full reign. He was like, you're editor in chief, like you completely, you know, will be in charge of the direction of this um, creatively, um, how we speak to, you know, whoever is listening and reading. And so I was really excited. I had two editors and we just started working on it. And then, you know, I started to try and do shoots. And then it turned out there was actually no budget for shoots, which meant that I had to beg hair and makeup artists. I had to beg models to do it all for free to the point where like, I was buying the snacks and the water. And then as we kind of launched and we were getting more into the swing of things, I realized that I was having meetings with the team. And then he was taking meetings without me secretly with the other two editors. And basically he was saying, you know, she's the face of it, but we know more about the industry and we need to do the snarky types of editorials too, because that's what gets the clicks. So there was like two articles in particular that came out. One of them was honestly kind of body shaming Nicki Minaj. And then the other one was saying that when Barbie launched their inclusive size Barbies, that it wasn't good enough and just being very aggressive. And it like was just like baity. Yeah, exactly. It was just clickbaity mm -hmm. and it was so disappointing. And, you know, I brought it up to him and he basically just said, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I said, I know it's harder to not be clickbaity, but if you can just give it more time. And, you know, because he essentially was the capital behind it, he was like, mm. you either get along with the program, you know, be okay with the snark or step away. So I ended up stepping away. I wish I could say that looking back, there were early signs that my line was going to fail. But honestly, Leia felt like a guaranteed success. Launching a product line felt like the next logical, natural step in my career. I had a fashion background, a built-in audience, and most importantly, I was really excited about our early products. One of our initial jewelry designs was the Leia Heart Necklace, and when we launched it, it sold out in a couple of hours. Anyone who has ever launched a product knows how scary it is, so when we had this first success, we were over the moon. Everyone thought it was going to work. Iskra had a similar experience. She had made a name for herself as a plus-size model and influencer who challenged toxic beauty standards. So when she had the chance to develop a fitness app, she saw a clear window of opportunity. But the next one I went into was this company in Australia who essentially built out health and fitness apps. And they split the ownership, the profit, the revenue with you when they cover their costs. So I was like, okay, that sounds great. So as soon as you've covered whatever the cost was to build this, then we'll go 50-50, whatever the memberships are. And so, again, pitched me the word. I was so excited. I was like, oh, my own app. This is what I love working out. This is great. And, I, and again, it was maybe 2016, 2017. There still wasn't as many apps that weren't focused on pure weight loss. And that was my thing. Mm -hmm. I was like, there will be no calories. There will be no weight loss. There will be meals for nourishment, but it won't be about all of these other things that could be triggering for someone in the eating disorder. We made content for a year, Val. A year. Wow. Uh, 
yes, it, we had, I mean, think about all the recipes, all the videos, like we were doing it for a year and they were flying, they would fly me to LA. And then there was a yoga teacher who was based in LA and I would, you know, work with her, make the videos. And then they would fly her to New York to make the videos. And then they would have photographers and then they would have this. And then I didn't know because I wasn't on any of the emails until I accidentally was CC'd on the emails that they were bought by a capital investment firm. So they had all this money that they'd thrown at this app and they had like no intention of becoming profitable to try and actually give me the 50%. And so I was accidentally CC'd on an email. It was really quite rude. That was it. And then I fought with them. I wanted it to be $9.99 a month, like really, really wanted it to be. And they were like, no, it's going to have to be $29.99 a month. And I was like, my followers are not going to be able to afford that. So it was like, that's so important. And again, that's why Solterra is affordable. That price point and that word inclusion has to pertain to the cost of what you're doing. And I knew my audience, like the back of my house, my audience was that airy girl. You know, they're shopping the $20 leggings because they, you know, maybe haven't got pay this month yet, whatever it might be. So when I just started to realize, oh my gosh, it brought me back to being in that meeting with the the media guy. I was like, wow, I don't have control again. And this is my app with my name all over it. And, you know, I was not invited to certain meetings with these owners, the capital firm, and, da, da, and I was like, I'm never going to see any profit from this. I've invested a year of my life. I basically had to stop it. That's the other thing. Hard work does not guarantee success. I poured myself into Leia. I pushed myself further than I thought I could. I took my focus away from my thriving media business and put it on the brand. I worked overtime and didn't have time for myself or my family. Plus, we were constantly searching for the right employees to help make this brand a success. That instability ultimately took a toll on my mental and emotional health. This is just to show you that no matter how hard we work, it's possible that there will be something outside of your control that can change your entire trajectory. For Iskra, it was bad partners. The company that she had partnered with had intentionally made the app unprofitable by running up cost. Iskra was devastated. And I was just like, that's it. And I knew from that, like, failure as well. Because people had invested, people would download the app, people were signing up for memberships. We got like 2,500 people signing up for a $30 a month membership from the start. That, that's crazy. That's some valuable lessons right there. I'm sure that to you, when you left it, you're like, the next one I'm going to say, let me tell you. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> yeah. So I can't resent those failures because I would not be able to run this business or have at least had the boundaries going into Solterre of like, these mm. are my limits. This is what needs to happen. This is what I've learned. This is what I know. This is what I need to improve on. These are the types of people I need around me and that full transparency. So yeah, everyone who's listening to this, maybe your, your business is failing right now. Just know, unfortunately, it sucks and you've got to mourn it, but it's going to help you tremendously. And I'm sure there are people who have these wondrous, like one hit wonders where they start a business or a brand or a company, whatever it might be, and it works. And God bless you. That's, that's a miracle because you're probably gonna have multiple failures before you actually figure it out. I 
remember years ago, I heard this saying, school costs money. And it referred to the investment, both financially and energetically, that we put into something that failed. Because you leave with so much more knowledge and lessons. Arguably, bigger lessons. Iskra learned how important it was for her to have control. For me, I learned something different from my failure. Full disclosure, my decision to step away from my line wasn't because it was unprofitable. That was definitely a part of it. But the real reason I stepped away was because I had an epiphany. I wasn't doing this for the right reasons. I wanted to be able to say that I had my own line more than I actually wanted to have my own line. In other words, my ego was driving my business, not my heart. It's so important to check in with yourself and ask, why am I doing this? Do I even want this? My next guest is Elle Mills. Elle is only 24, but she's already built and walked away from a prolific career on YouTube. Elle was only 18 when she launched her channel. By 19, Elle had over a million subscribers. When you started on YouTube, what was your first impression of like content creation? Did you know that you wanted to make it into something bigger or was it truly just a creation I mean, I grew up like in high school, like watching YouTubers. So by that time, like YouTube fame was a thing. I definitely think it was still in the early stages of it. But by the time I like really tried to make it a full-time thing, I knew that you can make money off of it. But that was never my intention. Like for the first few years of my success on YouTube, I didn't make any money or made very little because I used like a lot of copyrighted music because I think for me, what was appealing was the fame I feel like wanting to be seen. I think that was definitely something that I wanted as a teenager. And people wanting to watch the things I've made. I think it was more about the creative side. Did you realize that that pressure was around? Like, how were you? Because the burnout, it was a process for you, right? Like, you didn't just, okay, I'm done and out. Like, how did you handle it in the beginning if you recognized that it was affecting you? I just felt like I kept on pushing myself because I have like this kind of like perfectionist going above and beyond kind of mentality. And so with YouTube, it's like you are the product. And so I think career success becomes so intertwined with like self-worth, especially as a teenager. You know, like I took it so personally when views didn't do well or the thought of views not doing well. It sounds dramatic, but, you know, as a teenager, it really felt like life or death. What would you say were your first signs of, wait, something is, doesn't feel right? It's really hard to remember. I feel like that year is really blurry for me, but I do think it was the panic attacks. Like I never experienced Mm -hmm. that. And I think the relationships in my life were suffering from it. Like I was constantly on edge, you know, I wasn't relaxed. And it was just like this constant feeling of dread. And that's not how it started with YouTube. And it, it just wasn't making sense to me, I think. You know, it took me a while to understand what it was. But at the time, it was like this feeling of, I'm like, I have done it. Everything I've worked for, I've achieved. Like, there are people who want to watch. And, like, my favorite YouTubers want to hang out, want to collab. But I felt awful, just constant anxiety. So I think that confusion was contributed to the burnout. Because I was putting still the same amount of passion. But I felt like emotionally I wasn't fulfilled. I was just constantly thinking, okay, what's next? What's next? And like, all just on edge. Like a lot of teenagers, 
Elle had dreamed of becoming famous. But the realities of fame, specifically YouTube fame, made Elle miserable. As a society, we're so critical of failure that I think we sometimes forget to be critical of success. Elle was really, really good at her job, but her job wasn't good for her. During the pandemic, Elle quietly stopped uploading videos to her channel. She decided to try something new. When was the moment, and if you remember that moment, where you were like, okay, I have to make a change immediately? I think there was like two moments. I feel like there was that moment of when I was like 19, I had a very public breakdown. I was drinking a lot. I think I was like, I just like was not well. And so I think everyone in my life was like, we need to stop. We need to pause. So I think there was that. And that was like a definitely a turning point. And I still was posting. Like I went straight into like posting three weeks after that. Like I think it was definitely a turning point, but still like trying to navigate what I was experiencing. I think once the pandemic uh, hit, that's when I kind of realized it was time for me to shift my career. There's clearly something about my life being the product that I wasn't happy with. I think that was kind of the root of everything. What I've always known is I've loved creating. And I think the part that was contributing anxiety and like making me feel depressed was making my life so public and like having to like be vulnerable that's why I think shifting kind of behind the scenes and maybe going to writing, directing is better suited for me because that way I'm like, I'm creating, but not at the expense of my privacy. So how did you get reconnected with your creativity after all that? I wrote a script, like I wrote a short film and I had never had the time to do that before. Um, and I always been too scared, but I just like wrote it on a Google doc at first. And then I was like, okay, let me put it into like a screenplay format, you know? And I think that short film was definitely the turning point. It showed me a new way of creating that wasn't at the expense of my privacy. It was still a very personal story. And my whole YouTube career, you know, I was making like short films in a sense, but by myself. And I think on the set, like it was this magical feeling of like, I'm working with a team and everyone is good at what they do, like their specific role. And we're doing this together. It made me feel less alone. I feel like YouTube made me feel alone. It feels... I don't know, less anxiety-inducing to know that I have a team to support me and that if it, mm. it goes wrong, it's not all on me. We're all going to figure this out together. Elle's second career as a writer-slash-director is going so well. Her short film, The Reply, got picked up by the streaming service Creator Plus. Recently, she published an article in the New York Times. And as we speak, Elle's working on a script for her first feature film. It's not that Elle's new career is less challenging than YouTube, but because it's driven by her heart, those challenges excite her rather than drain her. She's only 24 years old and already Elle has so much wisdom and confidence and direction. Even though YouTube turned out to be the wrong career, it's still an important chapter in her life. My YouTube career was so intertwined with me like it was very much me I felt like mm -hmm. having the chance to try to figure out how to not put my self-worth and self-esteem on my career uh, has made me grow up and like find that validation from within which has been nice I would do it all over again but I do I'm happy that taking a step back from YouTube has allowed me to work on that instead how has your personal definition of success changed over the years what was it back then and what is it now I think what took me a long time to realize is that I am successful. Like I've achieved a lot 
And I think that's something I've only until this year or this past year been able to accept because I've always been chasing success. And so I feel like I am now able to see myself as successful. I think obviously I have my days and I, I'm still like, oh, I could do more and more and more. But I think not undermining my success, my current success is something that I've been able to do in the past year. That's a huge thing. Yeah. Like, I don't think people realize those who don't battle with that imposter syndrome or like discounting yourself won't know what a huge thing it is. I mean, I'm also on that journey. So I, I know that it's a huge accomplishment. So good for you. Thank you. You successful L Mills. <laughs> One of the biggest things I've learned is that it's much better to have failures than it is to have regrets. Regrets make you doubt yourself, but I think that failures help you know yourself. I know now that the things that bring me joy and highlight my strengths are more obvious than ever before, and that makes me jump out of bed in the morning. The knowledge of exactly what value and expertise I can bring to the table makes me feel so much more confident in what's to come. I was curious if Iskra had a similar experience. How have you learned to trust yourself more? Ooh, you know what? Trusting myself, especially after the business failures and just after even this year having turbulent things happen, has been challenging. And there are times where I'm like, oh, I made that terrible decision. I wish I had bought less units or I wish I had invested here. I wish I hadn't bought so much crypto or whatever it might be. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Right? It was going so well. And then it wasn't. But I just coming back to like, at least I followed my gut. At least I tried, you know, and I will always just come back to like, listen, if I hadn't tried, like I literally would not have this life. I would not have my child. I would not live in Austin, Texas. So it's like, I got to trust my intuition and gut and I may keep falling flat on my face until the day I die, but I will keep getting back up and trying. And I trust that I'm constantly choosing joy, fulfillment, love, and obviously business stuff on the side. But like, it's just like, I'm the only one that's leading this ship. I have other people on my ship too, of course, but like, I try not to name drop, but I've got to meet Jane Fonda, the legend. And um, she said that, Imagine life is the boat and you're on the boat and you have the oars and it's like, don't drop your oar. Make sure you're always going in the direction that the river is flowing. Like there's no point in going upstream, go downstream, but use those oars. And every time something happens to you, maybe it's personal, business, emotional, and the water's getting rocky and the water's kind of coming into the boat. Like you are the person who is in control of making sure you stay on track, on course, hold on to those oars and like keep going. So I really enjoyed that piece of uh, advice because I feel like that's so true. There are always going to be things that are going to rock your boat. There's always going to be rainstorms and thunderstorms and clouds. And it's like, you're on that boat. You've got the oars. Just keep on going in that direction. And again, if you can have people help you and be in that boat too, to get the war out, if you're sinking, (laughs) like bring them along for the ride too. It's really important to bring those people into your life and people Mm -hmm. hopefully will bring you peace. If they don't, then maybe it's time to step away. Throw Um, them off the ship. Throw them off, overboard, walk (laughs) the plank. Um, (laughs) But you know, that's me, I'm trusting myself. At the start of my career, I thought that success looked like a line that only went up. I imagined my career as a series of escalating accomplishments. Anything less than that was failure. But now, 
I don't think that my career is about any single accomplishment or setback. There are going to be many highs and many lows, but I will forever continue to experiment, evolve, and follow opportunities that present themselves to me. My product line won't be the last time I fail, and that doesn't scare me anymore. Not Alone is produced by Valeria Inc. and Frequency Media. Thank you to everyone involved, and thank you for listening. I'm Valeria Lipovetsky, and always remember, you are not alone. <laughs>